podcast since the election. It's good to be back. Joining me today is Renee Bunker, a former federal prosecutor with more than 20 years experience working in United States attorney's offices, most recently as the appellate chief in Portland, Maine. Before attending law school at Northeastern University, Renee competed as a gymnast for Penn State, an NCAA Division I school, on a full four-year athletic scholarship. A year ago, Renee Bunker was a guest on this podcast to discuss the Harvey Weinstein trial. Today's topic is eating disorders in recognition of National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. 30 million people will suffer with an eating disorder in their lifetime. Renee Bunker struggled for decades with an eating disorder. At times, her condition was so severe she needed residential treatment and hospitalization. But she is alive and very well today in strong recovery and joins us by phone to tell her story and give some information that hopefully might help you or someone you know or someone you love. Welcome, Renee Bunker. Welcome, Renee Bunker. Hi, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad you joined us back on the podcast, especially this week, National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And so I was hoping we could begin our conversation by you just giving a very um, high-level definition. What is an eating disorder? Sure. And I just want to repeat your warning that this is about eating disorders, as you already made clear. And I may touch on suicide, um, so I just want to make sure folks know that ahead of time so they can take care of themselves. Well, thank you for that. Um, great place to start. Eating disorders are serious, life-threatening mental illnesses. They can affect anyone, regardless of age, race, gender identity, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, and they come in bodies of all shapes and sizes. There are illnesses just generally in which people experience severe disturbances in their eating behaviors and related thoughts and emotions. And And every 52 minutes, Cynthia, somebody dies due to an eating disorder. They're among the most lethal of mental illnesses, and yet so many of us struggled and suffered in shame and isolation. Um, Do you want to cover sort of the three most popular ones, just to give listeners an overview? Yeah, sure. And then I'd love to hear if you have any, what causes eating disorders and who is susceptible? Mm. Um, Well, the three... Uh, most popular or well-known are anorexia nervosa, which is restricting caloric intake and often, though not always, accompanied by significantly low body weight. Bulimia, which is recurrent episodes of binge eating, along with compensatory behaviors such as self-induced vomiting, excessive exercise, laxatives, etc. And binge eating disorder, which is the recurrent episodes of binging without the comp- compensatory behaviors. And there are others. And... Um, I want to emphasize that eating disorders are not a skinny white girl's disease as many stereotypically have portrayed them or conceived them. And one of the great parts about this year's Eating Disorders Awareness Week is an effort to bring everybody into these discussions. And there are people struggling in marginalized communities, the LGBTQ plus population, people with disabilities, people of color, all experience eating disorders. Um, As to what causes them, a confluence of factors and the research is ongoing and um, the scientists and medical professionals are learning more all the time but it's a mix of biological sociological psychological um, and sociocultural um, factors that can play a role in um, eating disorders across the board now tell us if you don't mind would you be willing to share your story with eating disorders and 
and how it is you overcame the challenge? Sure. I struggled with a variety of eating disorders for decades, 30 plus years, as a gymnast, a lawyer, a triathlete, someone with a heart and soul just crying out for help, but so afraid to reach out for help. Um, I started, I thought it was no big deal the summer of 11th grade while at gymnastics camp um, to try and make myself vomit after eating some ice cream. I was part of this intensive training program where we were getting weighed twice a day and I wanted to be this lean, lean fighting machine and I thought it would help and it did not. And young athletes listening, old athletes listening, anyone out there, it is a big deal and it's not going to help. Um, you already so generously uh, mentioned that I, I earned a full scholarship to Penn State and I competed there for four years, during which time I often ate, overate, binged, and vomited. We were weighed in, subject to underwater body fat testing. Um, and all of that pressure, that said, I want to be really clear that I loved my coaches. And I mean, we, it wasn't all love. It was a lot of hard work. But I don't blame them or anyone for my eating disorders. Um, certainly, coaches can play a role. Um, but this was the 80s. And um, I'm still in contact with our head coach. And there's a lot of love there. So they would do things differently today, as would I, I hope. Well, the and whole, gy- the whole gymnastic recovery that the- I started getting really intense in law school and became a federal prosecutor, as you mentioned, and worked a ton of hours in the office and then did a lots of triathlon training and got completely obsessed with exercise and with not eating um, and not fueling my body. And I continued to vomit when I did fuel my body. So that's my downfall. The recovery piece to your question, if I'm not rambling here, is it's really because of really good friends who kept reaching in and pushing gently. I had a good doctor and therapist who just kept saying, you're going to die if you don't get help. Um, It's, you know, I've done a lot of really hard things in my life, wild tricks on the balance beam. You, like you said, federal prosecutor passed three bar exams, but one of the hardest things I ever had to do was tell a supervisor that I needed to enter a rehab program. Um, And I kept finding it hard. I thought I'd be a poster child of recovery. Go get it done, go to rehab, do the work, study, check that box and move on. But I was not. I relapsed and relapsed and relapsed and recovered and relapsed. And I kept having to ask for help. And that was the hardest thing to do. And it's those friends and colleagues and family members who kept pushing me back into treatment is why I'm alive today, really. What happens when you're in treatment for an eating disorder? Is it a lot of like counseling or is it is it a is it a um, medical environment where you're on prescription drugs and, and that sort of thing? Or is it more psychiatric and um, behavioral? It can be a mix of all of those things, Cynthia, and it really depends on the treatment modality that the patient and their um, provider may select as appropriate for that person's disorder. It may even depend on the person's age. Um, I and, and plenty of people are doing outpatient treatment and, and that may be sufficient and plenty of people may need to get into some outpatient treatment um, and we can help them with some of those numbers later. But um, on the inpatient and their intensive outpatient programs as well. Um, Mine was always a mix of um, group therapy and individual therapy, always working really closely with the dietitian, both inpatient and outpatient, Um, often with a uh, a psychiatrist and medications, depending again on the um, 
patients' needs and the treatment team's um, beliefs. So it can be a, a wide variety of um, efforts. I did some experiential work regarding some early childhood trauma, and, and so it really depends on the experiences and the struggles that each person is, is having. They're really, in my view, no two eating disorders are alike. A lot of things got that person to where they are, and a variety of methods and means um, can help them get to recovery, and recovery is possible. Well, that I think that's that's the the main message of our conversation today, and you are certainly leading by example in what recovery looks like, which is um, hopeful. Um, mm. I, I've read recently in preparation for today's podcast that COVID has had quite an impact on the numbers and the stats with respect to eating disorders. Why do you think that is? Mm, I've read those grim statistics too. If the 52, if the every 52 minutes someone dies of an eating disorder wasn't bad enough, everything I'm reading and hearing is that um, the isolation and the added stress, and it's not just for eating disorders, I think substance use um, disorder is also on the rise from everything that I'm hearing. And we're going to have a lot of work to do over the years to, to deal with what's going on right now. I think a lot of Young people are struggling. A lot of people are relapsing. You know, they had schedules and had a recovery program in place, and a lot of that got disrupted. And um, it's unfortunate. And I, 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 from what I've heard, therapy lines are ringing off the hooks, and there are waiting lists. So hopefully, we can get up the resources and get people to keep reaching out for help, and get folks to keep reaching in to help others um, without judging uh, what the behaviors are or the body size or the relapses that are going on and just get people the help that they need and deserve. What is something you can say to someone who you suspect might be struggling with an eating disorder? Uh, it, like, it, it's always awkward. You, you want to help, but you don't quite know what to say. Like, What's an appropriate thing to say to somebody who you are concerned about? Great question, and I have, and I would always encourage the conversation. Um, it's hard. Boy, my eating disorder was so hard on my friends and family, and I have emails going back about, you know, I don't even know how to talk about this with you. Um, nobody knows what to do or say, but I've adopted a mantra from the founder of one of the facilities I was in, and it's truth without judgment. And I've, I'm applying in as many ways in my life as I can. But it's to, to set aside all judgment um, regarding the person, loved one, colleague um, that you're concerned about um, and, <clears throat> and approach from a place of love and concern. Um, and, and please do reach in, start that conversation. Don't wait for someone to reach out because it might be too late. I've had a friend die by suicide and uh, it was unnecessary, just absolutely preventable in my view, and I wish I had done more to prevent it. And I myself have come close to ending my life, and it's only because people reached in and had that conversation that I am here today. Wow, it's so powerful. Joke, yeah, It's things like, hey, do you have a minute? I'm concerned about how you're doing. Are you okay? And don't focus so much, at least initially, on, on the – or I would, you know, I, I would encourage folks not to focus so much – on the behaviors themselves. Um, I mean, I knew my behaviors were disgusting enough and I just absolutely loathed myself 
whether I was 40 pounds lower or 40 pounds higher, I still loathed myself. So it's, you know, do you have, and then are you okay? And then listening without judgment and trying to see if um, you can reach in and, and help and how. Is it, um, uh, is it um, healing a relationship with yourself as well as healing your relationship with food? Is it like, what is it? the relationship with food that changes? Like, what do you eat now these days, Renee? Oh, Cynthia, you just hit the the core. You just, your question just like rattled my soul in a good way. Um, I, I eat well, I, I eat a variety of um, foods. And when I went lobster with mayonnaise, my friends are going to laugh because I refuse to eat mayonnaise and they know it. Um, I love lobster rolls with mayonnaise and I love cookies. My sister just made me a birthday cake and I eat it with delight. It's full of joy and tender loving care. But your question, Cynthia, really, it just goes right to something I'd like to emphasize is, you know, some of the things I've learned on my way too long journey, um, but worth a fight was three things I just want to emphasize quickly. It's not about the weight. I mean, I started to self-induce vomiting as a gymnast, um, thinking it was about the weight. But going back to that, again, 40-pound weight range at this height, it didn't matter. I hated myself at both ends. Um, what really was a big part of my journey, going to your question, is I had to learn not only to put my weapons of self-destruction down, and I had a number of them, um, to stop those dangerous behaviors, but also to build an arsenal of self-care and to just re-embody love for the whole of me, you know, the belly that I I tortured at times and the, all of my messiness and to just in, embrace that um, for what it is. And and through that, I not only have a solid respect for how hard recovery is from any addiction or affliction, um, but I also learned, and I've already said this, the importance of reaching out for help. It is so hard, especially, you know, lawyers where they have these fierce independent streaks, many of us, and I just thought reaching out for help on my job, you know, telling a supervisor I needed to go into rehab was one of just so hard. I thought my I'd lose my job maybe and my whole reputation and my identity was being this, you know, great lawyer someday, I hoped. Um, but that learning to reach out for help and learning to reach in to help others is just a huge part of recovery. Um, and yeah, the, not just the behavioral part, which has to be addressed if there are medical compromising issues. Um, of course, you've got to get people healthy and eating. Um, and Or if somebody's, you know, binging and purging so much that they're going to have a heart attack, those are obviously the behavioral piece, but also this sort of coming back to finding self-care and love um, was a big part for me. Renee, thank you so much for sharing your story on my podcast. I really deeply appreciate it and I hope listeners will appreciate it if if anyone listening needs help or knows somebody who needs help is is there anything that you can provide by way of resources before we let you go yes um I already mentioned I mean we're both lawyers of course so I reached out to Bill Nugent um in preparation he's the director of the Maine assistance program for lawyers and judges and we had a great conversation. He said they haven't gotten a lot of calls about eating disorders. Um, we suspect that's because of the shame and fear of reaching out that goes with that. His phone number, he said, call him directly for any confidential calls if you know someone you're concerned about or if you're struggling. 
1-800-273-8851. And then the National Eating Disorders Association, NEDA, has a helpline, 1-800-931-2237. They have a 24-7 crisis support text line where you text NEDA to 741-741. And finally, um, because I've been there and I have lost a friend um, to suicide, if anyone is concerned about suicide, um, thinking about it for themselves or concerned about someone, please call the main crisis hotline at 1-888-568-1112. If you're not in Maine, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Well, Renee Bunker, thank you very much, and I wish you just the best of luck going forward.